So that was Mrs. Lundegaard on the floor in there. And I guess that was your accomplice in the wood chipper. And those three people in Brainerd. And for what? For a little bit of money. There's more to life than a little money, you know. There's more to life than a little bit of money, you know. For example, there's paying us to do movie reviews. This is Candy's Patreon Request Spoiler! Oh, jeez, oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody, welcome to a very spirited Minnesotan edition of Spoilers. We haven't recorded together in a while. Lift the curtain. We haven't put out an episode in a while, but you'll. By the time you hear this, there'll be lots of episodes out. But it feels good to be back. Um, we'll introduce the guys here in a second. But I wanted to read our DM from Patron. Uh, what level is she again? What's the one above Stauncher? Preserved. Preserved Patron Candy. Um, she says. I love your guys' show. Been a listener for a long time. I think you should do Fargo for the 25th anniversary. Not many podcasts have covered it, and it's one of my favorite movies. My question, from west to east, to you, is if you were in as much debt as William H. Macy in Fargo, what crime would you commit to cover your ass? Also, I usually go by candy smiley face. Thank you so much, and can't wait to hear the episode. Well, Candy, thank you so much. So we'll go east to east. Candy's question, if you were in as much debt as William H. Macy, what would you do to cover your ass, starting with Corey? Yes, this is Corey Kylo Ren memes out of Simi Valley, California. Before I answer, Pappy, you're a Fargo expert. How much debt is William H. Macy in? Isn't it like 380000 Seven hundred fifty, I think. Seven fifty. How does that? Ha- I, I'm really confused as to like he's taking out loans against Dude. cars he didn't have. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what he's doing. That's what it sounds like he's doing. It's a but- scheme to rob pa- rob Peter to pay Paul like constantly. He is getting financing checks for cars that he didn't actually sell. Yep. I, I only put that together because I work in the automotive industry, <laughs> um, specifically with stuff like that. Um, but I'm I'm going to answer the question, and I guess my answer is I would rob a bank. And Attica! <laughs> Brett just watched Dog yes. Day. I literally just yes. watched that today, sorry. <laughs> More like Good Time. I, I thought it would be funny to like rob a bank like with a with a human realistic rubber mask like Pattinson wears in Good Time. Um plus also, this is just me being real, guys. I've always wanted to rob a bank. Oh, me too. It seems like a just like a surefire and easy way to get some money. Be pretty fun. You don't seem like you'd want to have a gun in your hand though. No, I just go, I do what Pattinson did, right? I write a note, slip it in, it says, I have a gun, fill this bag with money. Now, if this happens in Simi Valley, it's not connected to me. I'm not actually going to rob a bank, but I don't know. It just seems very easy. I've already alerted the authorities. <laughs> Fucking narc. Mikey, you're not a narc. What would you do if you're in $750,000 of debt? 
Wow, $750,000. That's a lot of uh, stealing DVD players and CRT TVs with my family <laughs> to make up <laughs> for all that debt. That's the only way I know how to get back that money. Um, I, I only know stealing stuff. I wouldn't know how to commit any sort of crime William H. Macy is pulling off here. And I don't think he knows what he's doing either because <laughs> he fucks up the whole way. I agree with you there. <laughs> I, I couldn't understand his plan. Or I'm glad Corey's here on this episode to kind of guide us through it because I couldn't understand what kind of scam he was playing. But I would just guess I would be the easiest thing would just be stealing merchandise from somewhere. A lot of merchandise, I guess. This is Pappy recording from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Great question, Candy. If I were $750,000 in debt, I would probably, to be honest commit the crime of just never paying my debt back and living on the lam uh <laughs> when i was i don't i ate over layover in hawaii one time and i sat like on this dock and i put my backpack on the edge of the dock i'm like i could just push this in the water and live here forever and no one would know what happened to me and i really really thought about doing that for a long time but i ended up going to stevie's wedding anyway but hey i know there's no way I could raise $750,000, so I would start my life of podcasting on the lam, um, not disclosing my recording location anymore when I upload these episodes. It's like a real Godzilla versus Kong kind of podcast. <laughs> have you not seen that? All right, never mind. I've seen King Kong versus Godzilla. We all have, unfortunately. Well, that was the voice of Brett you just heard. We're going a little bit out of order east to east, but Brett, since, you, since we heard you, it's an easy transition for me. What would you do to raise $750,000 illegally? This is Brad. I'm, I'm reading a movie mistakes.com. It, it kind of makes it seem like they never really say how much debt he's in. All we know for sure is that he owes at least 320000 Um But let's keep it at seven fifty. dollars ah, I have no idea. I definitely wouldn't rob a bank. I, I was that lame guy, like Stevie's wife, that said that she wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I don't think I'd do well in prison. I think I'd be uh, a hot commodity. What? So, um,. <laughs> Well, let's face it. You're a hot commodity outside of prison. Too. I love those side comments that Brett does. What do you mean by that, Brett? <laughs> not gonna, not gonna elaborate on that. Um, uh, I'd probably have to do some sort of white collar crime. I'm, I don't know. Uh, Fraud. I'd do the scam that they did in uh, Office Space. But you'd still go to a federal pound me in the ass prison. Conjugal visits. <laughs> um. Oh my god, I don't know. Uh, a fake kidnapping is always good. No, because then you get the FBI involved. You have to do something that is not a federal crime, but that's where the low money is. So, I don't know. Uh, a white collar, I would probably get with a hacker and mm. steal. That'd probably be the lowest risk is get it with a hacker and have him steal money from somebody and then we split it and then I rob him and then toss them in a wood chipper. Yeah. Or I would just steal the rights to Big Dumb Movie and, you know, I'd make that so fast. Cashing off that sweet, sweet AdSense money that yep. they're making over there. Which doesn't um, work, by the way. <laughs> oh, bummer. <laughs> Last but not least, you heard him talking about uh, his wife. Stevie, I know you wouldn't have your wife kidnapped, but what would you do if you were in as much debt as William H. Macy? <sighs> Man, I really don't want to say. It would never happen. But this has been like a dream of mine since I was eight years old. And if it does happen, I didn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. Was it me? 
So Elkhart County 4-H Fair is home to, like, I imagine one of the largest county fairs in the country. The second largest behind uh, Iowa, right? I think there's one in Texas that's bigger. Okay, yeah, we are. It's a big deal, guys. It's a big county fair. Since I was about eight or nine, it has been one of my psychotic like dreams to rob the cash at the end of the day or night (laughs) from all the vendors. Jesus, and just take off. That would be so much money. It's not even funny. Um, but I would never do that because that's people's hard-earned money on the line. It's just kind of one of those thoughts yeah. that I would do t- if I was in an extreme amount of debt, which I would never be. And if this does happen, I had nothing to do with it, I swear. Stevie's like robbing the Kiwanis Club out <laughs> of a couple thousand dollars. I don't I don't want to get too morbid, Stevie, but if your wife was sitting there looking for 12 seconds at someone who's trying to rob her, would she still sit there? <laughs> or would she start kind of moving a little bit? <laughs> God, it's so frustrating. Depends if there's a high-quality Minnesota morning TV. It just depends, yeah. I mean, how good is the daytime TV in Minnesota? In 1987, probably not very good. Robbing carnies. What you got there? An empty chicken laying empty eggs, huh? <laughs> well, how do you get the egg? There was an egg in here, right? Yeah. Okay, well, I don't How do you... I mean, you don't have an empty chicken somewhere that lays <laughs> empty eggs? No, no. I guarantee this was an honest-to-goodness great... <laughs> So let's go ahead and get into Fargo. We've been dancing around it a little bit. I I don't know if I ever would have picked Fargo. It's one of my favorite movies and one of those seminal movies of like getting into movies for me and in particular getting into the Coen brothers for me. Um, so it's going to be, it's a little tricky to talk about a movie that I like so much. And I lived in Minnesota for a while as well, which is why I can do such a banger of a Minnesota accent if I do say so myself. But Stevie... We'll have Spoiler Man come back and read the opening credits here. This is a true story. The events depicted in this film took place in Minnesota in 1987. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed. Out of respect for the dead, the rest has been told exactly as it occurred. No. This is total bullshit. Yeah, right? How do you feel about just lying to your audience like this? <laughs> it really devalues the movie in my mind because even as a work of fiction... No! Even as a work of fiction, this movie is great. I don't understand the need to say this is true. I, I've never understood it. I don't think there's a lot of great excuses for it. And, I mean... Could you say, yeah, there was a guy from GMAC like defrauding people? That's a true story, sure. And was there an accountant that tried to have his, have his wife killed sometime in the 80s? I think that's what happened. But, I mean, just to say everything, like, everything that happened is true is just, I think it's really cruddy. I don't understand the need for it. I couldn't disagree more. I love it. Disagree with me, Pap. Disagree. So... I guess, does anybody else like it, or does anybody else have strong feelings about it before before I jump in? I'll say this, Pappy. This was my first time ever watching Fargo for this podcast. <gasps> Same. And I knew you guys were going to be Fargo experts, so I didn't look into it. And uh, that was going to be the first thing I asked. Did this really <laughs> happen, or didn't it? And I guess that I'm definitely it. not a Fargo expert. Just like, it's only the second time I've ever seen it. Ah. So, so, I mean, this is like a legendary misdirect by the Coen. Misdirect. What is that? You know that that meme where it's like the tiny brain and then like a bigger brain and like a bigger brain and like the galaxy brain? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like spoilers. The tiniest brain is like uh, 
based on a true story equals good. You know what I mean? Then the slightly bigger brain is like, you don't need to learn history from movies. And Brett and I have talked about this extensively. I'm not going to hold a movie accountable for... It's a little different, Pat. But for saying, like, presenting William Wallace and, like, basically as a fact, are you going to discredit Braveheart for for that? Like, without any kind of caveat there? I mean, that might be a bad example because they do have that little (laughs) thing at the beginning. But what I will say, the biggest galaxy brain, though, is that using true stories is a total crutch for like telling a fictional story anyway, since almost everything in a movie isn't true. And honestly, it's like, if you believe that it's a true story, just because they say it's a true story, that's on you, my friend. I, I don't think it's cruddy at all. I think it's hilarious. I think it's interesting. And I, I don't know. It's just like, how many people saw us in the 90s and just took it at face value in a pre-internet time, right? They kind of just trolled everybody. I love it. I don't, I don't mind it. I, I think it works really well for a, another movie that I'm more familiar with, which is the Blair Witch Project. And uh, that's true. I've never been mad at that movie for saying it no, was true. No, brilliant. That's brilliant. But again, I think that's a little, I still think that's a little different. Why? That was humongous in the marketing. I don't think Fargo was necessarily marketed as so wait, this. It's it was better, just, it's, oh, it's, it's okay if you lie to get people in the theater, but it's not okay if you lie once they're in the theater. They lied to it's get for awards. The enjo- it's for the enjoyment though. You don't need, you needed, you needed to think that was real for extra saying. enjoyment. You, you don't enjoy, need that. In no, Far- you, you don't need that in Fargo. You shouldn't enjoy a movie anymore because it's a true story. Why does that make it better? Why is it inherently why, why better do, because why it's a do true it, story? Why do why, it then? Why do it? Because it's hilarious. Because to me, <laughs> because it, it just sounds better if someone came up with this on their own. Yeah, but like you're not going to... I don't have a problem with it. Pat, back then, it, when you're watching the movie, it's like you can't Google that while you're in the movie theater. It's like you would have to look that up somehow after the movie is done. Gone to the library like, and looked up newspaper clips. <laughs> yeah, what is the point at that point? I just think it adds to the legend of Fargo. I think it probably sparked conversation. Like, like how many people literally just went out driving in the Minnesota countryside looking for a briefcase full of a million well, dollars I, along fences? I definitely, they still do that, probably. Well, yeah, there's a movie about that from a couple years ago. Oh, really? Well, they did that yeah. in the show. It was the first season. Someone found the briefcase. But there's a movie about looking for the money? Yeah. My friend from Big Dumb Movie, Steve, was telling me about it. I, f- I forget the name, but there's a movie where someone... Watched Fargo, thought it was real, oh, no. and went to go find the money. See, that's hilarious. I just looked it up. Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. Future spoilers pick, Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. But <laughs> right out of the gate, we get some exposition. We, we meet maybe not our three main characters, but three pretty central players. Jerry, Carl, and Peter Stormare, who plays Gare, I think his name is. We don't hear his name. Gear a lot. Stevie, you want to talk about one of those? Describe them to, to our audience. Dealer's choice. I'll take Jerry Lundergaard, um, or Lundergaard. He is the epitome of a loser in life. He's a snake. Yeah, you just see it from the offset. And the fact that he ended up being in sales made me laugh so hard when I first saw this, because I always call it death of a salesman when someone overpromises and underdelivers. And I feel like Jerry has been that way his entire life through everything. Yeah. It's always, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you that tomorrow. Oh, yeah, this is going to be great stuff. It'll work out just fine. And he is the epitome of under-delivering. He's just, I mean, in my opinion, he's just a loser. And he comes up with this great scheme with... uh, and it, the one thing I do like about this scene a lot is the fact that Peter Stormare and Steve... Um, how do you say his last name, Brett? 
Buscami. No, it's Buscemi. Buscemi. Uh, Buscemi. Buscemi. There we go. Um, I like how they see through Jerry immediately and cut him off constantly, pretty much saying, you're not going to tell us how this goes. Like, you're stepping into our world now. And one thing I find really funny about this movie is Jerry doesn't fit into any world. And that's kind of the chaos he creates. He doesn't fit in his, you know, he pretty much is destructive in his own world. And he tries stepping into the world of crime and it goes even worse. See, I give you a brand new vehicle in advance and then... I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and debate. I will say this, though. What Shep told us didn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, no. It's real sound. It's all worked out. You want your own wife kidnapped. Yeah. He's bad at everything, it seems like. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. William H. Macy is amazing at playing a pathetic piece of shit. Jurassic Park 3. (laughs) Also, uh, Magnolia. Shameless. Mikey, how do you feel about uh, Steve Buscemi? We talked about him a second ago in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, Steve uh, is playing a guy named Carl Showalter. He's kind of like... Uh, doing all of the talking for for the pair of uh, him and Peter Stormare, and he's talking to William H Macy's character, and like CB said, he's being like really short with him and uh, kind of straight to the point uh, because he knows that I don't know, like Carl knows that he's killed people before or done shitty stuff before, so he's not very intimidated by uh, Jerry at all. He's a greaseball. Or your fucking wife, Jerry. Uh, I love that. And then we have Peter Stormare playing Gear. Uh, he's kind of the strong, silent type. Smokes a lot of cigarettes. And an uh, imposing force. But my first Stevie question of the episode is, how did Carl and Gear link up? How did they become friends? Because it seems like a very <sighs> unlikely friendship throughout the course of the movie. It, it feels almost like seems it's... like they were hired by different people and say, yeah. like, get along. Yeah. Their first like interaction, it feels like, because they're like kind of ironing out things, like smoking cigarettes in the car, or talking or not talking. Yeah, it's strange. It almost feels like their first job, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but you can tell throughout the entire movie that Carl never feels on even footing with Guerre in the slightest. Mm-hmm. And Guerre just seems like a stone cold sociopath, and Carl just seems like, hey man, we're in the same line of work. Let's just be friends. <laughs> Pancake house. I'd say they're probably both sociopaths, just in a different way. I, I well, here's my thing. I think Carl has lines where they're non-existent to gear. Yeah, I guess I'll give you that. What do you mean by li- like lines in the script? Is that what you're saying? No, there's things that that he wouldn't cross. That he wouldn't cross, oh. especially. I don't know what the backstory is, but there's. I think Carl was much more affected. By the policeman getting shot more so than just, oh, we might get caught now. Yeah, but doesn't that kind of go out the window when he shoots an innocent uh, garage attendant? Now, he was in pain. I'll give him that. I think there's something in his backstory that would say law enforcement or kids is my line. Yeah, and I think Carl had to get there to the point where he shot, like, the dad or the uh, mm-hmm. the, the parking lot attendant. <laughs> Like, things had to, like, unfold a certain way for him to be, like, mentally able to do that. He had to be, like, angry enough and seen enough blood already, you know? Mm-hmm. He seems like a lower-level, like, criminal guy. Like, he seems like, you know, maybe he's, like, committed some, like, commercial burglary. <laughs> I, but I have a feeling, like, this is the first time he's ever killed anybody. Can you crack a fucking window open? 
you know, it's proven that secondhand smoke is a carcinogenic, the, you know, a cancer agent. Hey, look at that, Twin Cities. It's the IDS building, the big glass one. Tallest skyscraper in the Midwest after the uh, Sears and uh, Chicago or John Hancock building, whatever. You never been to Minneapolis? Nope. Would it kill you to say something? I did. No. It's the first thing you've said in the last four hours. That's a... That's a fountain of conversation, man. That's a geyser. I mean, whoa, Teddy, stand back, man. Are you guys familiar with the concept of the dark triad at all? Do explain. What is that, some Zelda shit? Uh, close. It's it's like a Triforce, but like a dark Triforce. Um, it's three personality traits that are... Um, I, I don't know what the right word for them is, like measured as like negative personality traits or like malevolent malevolent personality traits. That's a good word for it. For, for it. They're Machiavellianism, which is manipulative, self-interested, uh, domineering. So Jerry, to some extent, psychopathy, uh, emotionally cold, remorseless, which is gear and narcissism, grandiosity, perceived superiority, entitlement. So when you kind of look at these three characters, they're almost like three different embodiments of these dark triad personalities but all sort of evil in their own different ways um and we see that in jerry especially when he is trying to sell the true coat to that poor uh couple on brett would you buy the true coat from jerry would you have just taken that car as is uh i'm really bad at saying no so yeah probably (laughs) uh i I probably would (laughs) have let him sell that to me uh i know it's not exactly what you asked but um Guys, such I that hate seems that so scene. infuriating. So okay, yeah. yeah. I work in the car industry. I mentioned that earlier. Fuck car salesmen, dude. I fucking hate them. I seriously <laughs> fucking hate them. Used car salesmen are the worst pieces well, of shit. People have said before they like used car salesmen is a really good spot for a lot of sociopaths to work. I would would not be surprised if mm. a lot of them do work there. It's like custom made for their personality type and they can do it for a long time they have to schmooze people put on fake charm i mean it's right up their alley and jerry fits the bill perfectly i mean the kidnapping and the crime aside just like the way he sells a car is so fucked up like <laughs> the true coat shit it's like man he doesn't let it go we sat right here in this room and went over this and over this yeah but that true coat i sat right here and said i didn't want any true coat that's what i mean about like salesmen you know over promising and under delivering and the thing that's so telling about that scene is when that guy's yelling at jerry calling him a liar and jerry like shrinks into like his little hole like yeah you got me i have nothing else to say mm-hmm he's just getting berated by this guy you're a fucking liar you're wasting me and my life wife's time Language. And he just looks down and, like, still wins the situation. You know what I mean? In the sense that the guy is like, get get out my checkbook. And, like, he's willing to be a liar. He's willing to sit there and, like, the throngs of abuse put himself in that kind of situation because he just wants the outcome. That's all he really cares about. He doesn't really care about the emotional manipulation or... Like even to some extent, what people think about him, it's just it's this weird Minnesota nice glean on it. And I don't know if you guys have heard that term before, but it's like this whole tongue in cheek politeness that that he has about him. Um, but maybe <laughs> this is exacerbated. 
by his relationship with his stepfather, uh, or not his stepfather, his father-in-law, excuse me. Mikey, what about Wade Gusterson? Gusterson? Gusterson. Gusterson. He's just a really stern old guy. Uh, What's his job? He's like a land developer or something. Real estate, yeah. Yeah, real estate. And he's just rich and he's married to his daughter and his his gene his wife is kind of like i don't know kind of like an airhead but wade is like uh the the boy and and my daughter will never have to will never have to worry <laughs> or something yeah man it's such a douchey thing to say <laughs> such a great yeah, you worded that such but a yeah, great whenever line. uh jerry was what asking for a loan or something or about the deal like if you wanted He's in like, on the deal jesus could set us up real good there uh, wade for for gene and scotty and i Gene and Scotty never have to worry. (laughs) (laughs) What about I? Yeah, he's he's that guy. He's that father-in-law. So he's everything you want in a (laughs) father-in-law. The way I look at that, too, maybe I'm just looking into it too much, but I love the disrespect that Wade shows um, Jerry. Just for the simple fact that I imagine as much business as Wade has done, Wade has dealt with a thousand Jerrys and despises them all. And probably hates it that Gene married one. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah. it just, I love it when he, you know, Jerry walks into his house, his own house, after a hard day of trying to plot to get his wife kidnapped and murdered. And Wade won't even look at him. Like, he's barely answering his questions. It almost makes me think that Jerry didn't even put, like, his name down on the house, that Wade actually owns that house. And that's why he just feels he can show him so much, like, disrespect. Watching the gophers mm-hmm. into his chair. <laughs> you know, I imagine Wade did not want Jeannie to marry Jerry at all. And then she begged and begged and begged. And he's like, well, I might as well just get you a good house. Let me buy it. How much money did he offer his daughter not to marry him? <laughs> reverse dowry. <laughs> you reverse it. <laughs> Please stay away from my daughter. <laughs> I bet he didn't offer Jerry any money because Jerry's the type of person that would have taken it. Yeah. <laughs> Do we do we know why? And like I've seen this movie so many times from such a young age that I never when I was little I didn't understand the whole scheme that Jerry was doing. I just knew it to be some sort of financial thing. But it's never like made apparent as to why he has so much debt, right? Like is he fudging his numbers and his sales? Is he like does he have like a gambling problem? A, a Did drinking you say problem? that earlier? Uh Corey? Well, there's like this, I don't know if it's like a side plot or just like something that comes up throughout the movie where he's getting called by um, a bank or a finance company of some kind that's saying like, you know, we, we paid you this money for these cars that you sold, but we can't read the VINs, right? So, I, I mean, I was just speaking to that. Basically, he pretended to sell cars so that he could get the financing from a bank. Mm-hmm. Isn't it like 300000 too because he's like how much money is that he's like, we'll have to recall the money how much money was that again it's like he would never say that in a normal conversation like, <laughs> how much again how much do you need again like it's 20 bucks i have a couple of theories um so i said jerry's a loser in life but it's pretty evident in his office that he excels at one thing and it's golf he loves golf. He has a little notebook. I love golf. Ooh, you think he's got a little Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan? Yeah, he has like Ooh. 25 trophies in his office of golf, all golf. Where and, is he golfing? I didn't even notice that. 
Minnesota has some real. Yeah, I know. It's I know. I I miss joking. They, People I mean, think they, they have, have some, cold all the time. It's a lot like Indiana for two months a year. It's one of the best places <laughs> to golf in the continental United States. It really is. And so I think it's a couple things. I think one, Jeannie was born to a very wealthy man who gave her everything. I imagine Jeannie's a firstborn. Um, and the other, you know, Jerry's probably trying to stay up with the lifestyle that she, you know. He thinks that she probably needs or Wade would approve of. And mm. also, he is making some bad gambling debts on that course. I know for a fact that man is. It's probably the only place in the world he feels comfortable. Also, Scotty's not been going out for hockey the past few years. And that's pretty expensive, too. Hockey. Not a cheap sport to play. No, we wanted to play after Mighty Ducks came out in the early 90s. Yeah. We asked our parents if we could play hockey. And they were like, absolutely not. It's way too expensive of a sport. <laughs> <laughs> so we just got the whole Corey, tell me you got the rollerblades in the and the the nets. Dude, I used to dominate the all the kids in, in yeah. my fucking neighborhood. We used to Car. play street hockey. We set up cones. We didn't have no Car, nets. Yep. But man, <laughs> I was just pummeling these kids. I was like a year older than everyone. So. Ooh, you had cones for you poor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> what else would you use? We had the we had the nets, bro. <laughs> Well, I had the rollerblades on the stick. What do you want from me, man? That's true. That's true. I guess those are more important. To afford that net, Brett, did... Uh... I'm getting shamed by Brittany right now. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize, Corey. <laughs> People used to ask me in college about Kool-Aid. I said, I didn't have Kool-Aid growing up. I wasn't poor. We drank pop. <laughs> so You can make it up to me by hooking me up with some of that dog money you're so- getting. <laughs> okay, we're, we're, way, we're way deep into tangent territory now, but like my first... Real interactions with Brett were at a trivia night at a bar called Constant Spring oh, yeah. in Goshen. Dominated. And like one of the first things I learned about you is you claim to have drank the most Cokes in That's the nineties. That's not true. That's you, not you, true. You claimed your, that. Your cousin, no, Adam says that. I said, and this is trust me, this is just as ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I said I think I might have drank more pop than anybody in the nineties. <laughs> That's incredible. I would have never it's said Coke. Coke was my favorite, claim. but I would have never said Coke. It's a weird... Brett, like, what, what are we what talking was the, here? What was the cola of choice? Coke. But Coke wasn't the pop of choice? Or soda? But Coke wasn't the, yeah, wasn't the mean, runaway winner? I didn't, yeah, but I didn't drink more Coke. I just drank pop. I mean, we drank whatever. I, didn't, I was a Remember kid. Remember Surge in the 90s? Oh, yeah. It wasn't mm. around for very long. Mm. I, I drank a lot of uh, Coke, Mountain Dew, uh, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, stuff like that, so... But Coke is my favorite, always been my favorite. One thing that's striking to me is that the ni- the license plates in the 90s are basically the exact same <sighs> as the license plates uh, in Minnesota when I lived there, um, which 80s. is wh- why... Oh, this takes place in the 80s? 87. Yeah. Ah, oh, shit. I don't know why I was thinking this was the 90s for some reason. I guess it came, it came out in the 90s. I've always just thought of it as a 90s movie, but... yeah. Either way, I guess the license plates haven't changed in even longer. But they're driving towards the Twin Cities, uh, them being uh, Peter Stormare and Steve Buscemi. I don't think we've really talked about the specifics of the plot, Kylo. Do you want to just take us through what they're what they're going to do here and like what the what Jerry's plan is? Yeah. So here it is, as I understand it, as a first time watcher. So Jerry wants to get some outside guys, some criminals, to kidnap his wife, hold her for ransom, and then he's going to get his rich father-in-law to pay the ransom. 
Uh, afterwards, he's going to pay off the guys that did the kidnapping for him, and he's going to keep some of the money for himself. Uh, there is a little bit of uh, discrepancies with the numbers, as you kind of like learn as the movie goes on. I think he says he's going to ransom her for $80,000, but then he tells his father-in-law <laughs> it's, it's a million. million. Yeah. So he definitely plans to make out in this deal. So if you want to sum up Jerry perfectly how bad of a how greedy and terrible he is is when he's gonna get a million dollars and steve buscemi calls and wants to go from 40 to eighty thousand dollars and he's like livid <laughs> like he's gonna he's gonna make out nine hundred twenty thousand dollars but he's ticked off about that forty thousand he's such a piece of shit that sums him up yeah he's i'll get to that during my yes or no I like the part where they're in the uh, the diner and he's like, "We're not horse trading here, Wade." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's your goddamn daughter, dude. Just We're pay whatever it takes. If you got it. <laughs> so, like, th- there's a, a mini side plot, and and I think one of the the great things about Fargo, one of the the things that this, if you look at film in general, like what this does outstandingly compared to almost any other film is how strong the characterization is in the first 20 minutes without being too overt. We learn so much about these four or five uh, main characters behind the nefarious actions in the story, all within the first 30 minutes, all before we meet our protagonist in this 90 minute movie. Um, And one of those side plots is that Jerry is pursuing a, a parking lot which I don't. Was he gonna screw his dad out of the money? Was that like another scheme? Or I don't whatever? think that was a scheme. But he thought that he could use the principal to buy the lot and eventually <laughs> get out psycho. of debt. Yeah. Do you want to talk about like? So he's just basically asking his father-in-law for a loan to finance a, a business. We're right? not a bank. We're not a bank, Jerry. <laughs> I mean, it's just the hubris, like the the stupidity of Jerry Lundergaard is just insane to me. Like the fact that he thought. That someone with far more capital and credit than him yeah. would just loan him money, so just just because, and they wouldn't make any money out of it outside of one percent above prime. Hey, his problem is he's such a bad businessman. He doesn't realize <laughs> that he's a stupid criminal. He's, he's so stupid. We're not a bank, Jerry. To be fair, though, I mean his numbers were pretty sweet. You know, pretty sweet deal. <laughs> I mean, his honestly, his uh, his father in law even does him like a kindness of like, here's a finder's fee, get the hell out of here. $75,000, right? <laughs> yeah, that would have, I mean, what he wanted a million. I still don't understand what he wanted all of that money for. I don't really understand his scheme because he wanted to pay off his debt and have money because he's greedy. That's my guess. I also, I, I think his debt reached far beyond the 320. I mean, but it's also probably he just wanted to be a success to some extent too, right? If he's mm-hmm. lived in the shadow and, and felt like a loser his whole life, he probably only was able to socially climb, you know, through the sport of <laughs> golf or something, right? Probably just rubbed the right shoulders, met the right people type thing, impressed his wife that way. And now he's just stuck working not even for his father-in-law. There's like a guy in between him and his father-in-law who just eats burgers and watches the gophers. On. Um, but I, I say all this because we learn a lot about Jerry seeing him and his ineptitude and his um, 
uh, inability to, to execute. And like when he goes out to his car, when I used to live in Minnesota, I used to like feel this exact feeling of like getting in your car, getting out the ice scraper, or starting to scrape the ice, and it just doesn't come off. It's just the most frustrating thing ever, especially after everything that's gone through. It's such a great, great moment of Jerry. But while this is happening, the kidnapping is also taking place. Uh, Mikey, this is your first time seeing it. Did you enjoy... Uh, this is really sort of the first action that we get in the movie. Yeah, uh, it kind of opens up uh, kind of comedically with uh, Steve Buscemi looking like... I guess there's like a glare on the window that he's trying to peer into and he can't see uh, Gene knitting on the on the sofa and he's like right there uh, right next to her and he breaks up in the window and scares her and she takes off running and runs into Peter Stormare who's really scary and she ends up biting him on the hand and running upstairs. It's uh, I don't, it's pretty funny. It's also kind of scary. Uh, it's a good scene. It's intense, right? I mean, this woman is like one of the few innocents in this whole movie. I thought she died when she fell. <laughs> and I thought that was going to really kind of take the take the plot in a totally different direction. So I was glad that she wasn't dead, but it doesn't really matter in the end. I think that's one of the great things about this movie, though, Kylo, is that she's an innocent but she is collateral damage of these schemes right she doesn't make it home okay lives are lost innocent people die in all of this all because jerry is a piece of shit just <laughs> something you'll hear me say a lot but man that when i was watching the kidnapping scene i was like on the edge of my seat it's just really well executed like these two personality types are so different the uli guy is like He's seemingly like pretty calm and collected. Like this is just like another day at the office for him to the point where like when he gets a bit, he's like looking for like ointment in the uh, medicine cabinet. <laughs> what is it called? so weird that oigmund or something? Oigmund. <laughs> no, he, it's a different word. He says, uh, crap. It came up on the closed captioning. Unguent. What? I need unguent. Different word. Okay. But uh, Steve Buscemi is like frantic and all over the place and panicking. And that seems to be like the state in which he like lives his life in for the most part. <laughs> when he's not mad at you for like not talking enough on a long drive, that is. And I was getting serious like Mr. Pink vibes. Like he, it's like almost the same guy, right? From um, Reservoir. Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Which one's Mr. Pink? <laughs> Harvey Keitel? <laughs> The guy oh, who's shooting on. people and screaming. Buscemi. Yeah, he's Mr. Pink, yeah, because he complains about being pink. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. What a run Steve Buscemi had in the 90s here. Airheads. <laughs> yeah. One of his all-time greats. I'll say this about that break-in scene. I have honestly have the worst brain. So I work in like home construction and home supply, and looking at that house, I know for a fact Jerry Lundergaard didn't put a cent down on that house. Like, that house is so far out of what he makes and produces. Wade 100% paid for that house in full. Jerry is paying Wade back, probably with a PMI. Like, as interest, like, above what the actual mortgage was, or would He's be. He's giving him one over Prime. Yeah, so I... Yeah, Jerry didn't put... That's a really nice house for that time. Um... 
it doesn't even look that like that outdated like 10 years later in like the late 90s. So I would say, yeah, Jerry didn't put a cent down on that house. They go on to have a pretty eventful traffic stop. Stevie, what, what goes down here? And is this not the worst attempt at a bribe of all time? <laughs> <laughs> it's... We'll take care of it in Brainerd. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I just thought we'd take care of it in Brainerd. In Brainerd. Yeah, so they get pulled over. We get some real, real heavy accent from the from the statey. Then they're out in the middle of nowhere. And the one thing I like that the Coen Brothers did with this scene is Peter Stormare's character is very... Doesn't have a lot of emotion throughout the entire movie anyway. <laughs> I think but his he jaw is, doesn't close throughout the entire scene. He is completely still this entire scene. And Pat, I was going to ask you this question. Because we've talked about, you know, there's kind of certain um, giveaways to when a character is going to kill another character in movies. Was there anything... Was there anything that happened where Peter Stormare... Like, do you think he decided to kill this cop before they even started talking? There's a moment where camera does like a one shot of peter stormier right after the cop says something like what is this type thing mm-hmm. and steve buscemi just like is so convinced that the line will take care of it and brainerd <laughs> is gonna like somehow get him out of this maybe the best thing to do would be to take care of that right here in brainerd what's this sir my license and registration yeah i want to be in compliance I was just thinking we could take care of it right here in Brainerd. There's like one shot of Peter Stormare where he's like, God, he doesn't even like visualize like, God damn it. Like if someone told me to act like show frustration, but it's just like the slight hint of like, okay, annoyance. Like, okay, now I've got to kill this cop type thing. It's very, it's very short, but I love the way that like when he grabs him and shoots him in the top of the head, the way the blood just volcanoes out of that cop's head. It's fucking crazy. Uh, can I interject real quick? Yeah. Just to touch on something earlier. Uh, he was asking for an unguent. Unguent. What is an unguent? Similar to an ointment, but it's less viscous. Uh, and it's like, it's not, it's oilier and pastier. So, you know, like an ointment, you know what that, it's yeah. just everyone, but this is just more of a paste and, uh, it's just oilier. Unguent. It stays on your skin longer or something. So Less viscosity. Interesting. Unguent. But I, I don't know, Stevie, anything else from this traffic stop scene that uh, jumps out to you? Yeah. I love the fact they're in the middle of nowhere. It's night. There's snow all around. There's blood everywhere. Uh, things I love to see in movies. Um, and I do like how this scene... It's somewhat drawn out, but I like how it just escalates and escalates. And when you think, you know, there's this let off of, oh, the cop is dead, it escalates even more with the passerbyers, which always makes me sad in this movie. Oh, definitely. Seeing, <clears throat> seeing Steve Buscemi, like, try to drag that corpse away, and then, like, the face of the driver as he goes by and is, like, seeing that unfold is fucking mm-hmm. hilarious. Like... There's some good subtle comedy in that whole scene. I mean, the murdering aside, you know, like <laughs> like that guy's looking at him just like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's a what? It's like this weird meme face almost yet to be it's, discovered. I can't really tell. Is that a, a kid or a girl or a girl kid at the end uh, that he kills? I always took it as his girlfriend, which is pretty cold-blooded of him to try and run away through the snow while she's still sitting there in the overturned 
overturned car. Pretty ruthless. Hey, he was going to break up with her, man. <laughs> Perfect opportunity. Yeah. You just did me a favor, bro. It's not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> that shot, though, serves as a transition into meeting, um, you know, one of the more iconic police characters of the 90s, certainly, uh, Marge. Kylo, having not seen this movie, were you expecting Francis McDormand to be in more of it? It's a full, like I said, it's a, it's a 90 minute movie. 30 minutes pass before she is even shown on screen awake. Yeah, I was very surprised. I was watching it and thinking, okay, she must be in the show because I haven't seen her yet. She's probably not going to be in this. I expected her to like show up at the very beginning. Um, but obviously she shows up a little bit later and you were saying she's like an iconic cop character. That's something I wasn't aware of. Is it because just like she's just like simple folk up there in Minnesota? She also won the Academy Award for Best yeah. Actress. For this movie? Yes. Yep. This is wow. her first Oscar. Hi, hello. Woo! What you got there? RG, thought you might need a little warm-up. Thanks a bunch. So what's the deal now? Carrie says triple homicide? Yeah, it looks pretty bad. Two of them are over here. Where is everybody? Well, it's cold, Margie. As someone who lived in Minnesota... Her accent is so hyperbolic, and sometimes it switches into like almost a New York sounding accent. Like I think about like when she's talking about asking if the Radisson is reasonable or not. Would you happen to know a good place for lunch in the downtown area? Don't get me wrong; it's a it's a great performance, but it's just so over the top in terms of the accents. Which I, I'm sure the Coens were doing intentionally, having lived in Minnesota. They're trying to play it up, right? But uh, Stevie, how do you feel about Marge as a character? I love Margie. Uh, a ton and um you know norm son of a gunderson which is a great nickname uh but <laughs> i think uh this is a really really great baton handoff in a movie you know it, she only appears when necessary you know we don't get these like how said early shots of her in her normal life and then you know jerry lundergaard and gare and carl come into their come into her life this is you know, we meet her when we need to. I think that's what's great about this movie. It's because if the if the intro was ten or fifteen minutes, we'd call it an intro, right? This would be setting the stage. This mm-hmm. would be like an extended scene. This is a full third of the movie. You know what I mean? This is like a huge chunk of the movie. She's not even in now. Now she comes to dominate the the next part, and like her relationship with Norm is arguably you know the heart of the movie it's the last scene of the movie it's what they leave us with um mikey how do you feel about her and norm's relationship the the guy from zodiac potentially (laughs) future movie uh i want what norm has he's got the life (laughs) what like i don't know how but like all of the cops knew what he was like up to for the week. Like one cop was like, "Hey, I thought you were uh, supposed to go fishing there today." He's like, "Yeah, after lunch." Like, Why does everybody know what you're gonna be doing like for the next forty eight hours? Like, what? Who are you? And he's just like cooking food. He he's a nice guy. He makes breakfast for his wife or like forces her to eat breakfast. And um. I guess he's just like an artist. I guess he makes enough as like an artist for painting or uh, drawing stamps. And he's kind of like, and I, 
competition or whatever with other like local artists or whatever to to get on the the biggest stamp they possibly can be and that's kind of like his whole career or whatever he just kind of sits around and does that mallard based artwork it seems to be very duck based very aquatic bird based he was a cop right that's the the story apparently the story the backstory oh. that those two made up which I love. I freaking love that's that. A gr- I mean, that's also kind of explained why might like why they know his business. Uh, but it's if he was a cop, it's pretty apparent that Margie was the stronger of the two. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's been like forty years old for <laughs> since yeah, he looks exactly the same. No, he's yeah. not. It's crazy. It, it, he's only like fifty six, so it's he's like thirty five, thirty six. <gasps> this movie, it's insane. What my age, really? Wow. Was this? During like the Drew, was he on the Drew Carey show too? I just remember him from Zodiac and from uh, Chicago Seven. But you're you're right though, Brett. He's been forty forever. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody Corey said that I think. Oh, okay. I mean, he looks exactly the same in the Invitation. <laughs> There's a great shot. Um, the Prowler needs a jump scene, where it's just him oh, yeah. sitting in the kitchen eating eggs, and the, the camera stays still, and it shows Marge going out to her car, trying to start it, coming back in. Prowler needs a jump, and it's all just facilitated by the layout of the house. I, I, we haven't mm-hmm. talked about the cinematography at all, but Deacon's fantastic work as always. This movie looks amazing. That's a great shot. I don't think I even noticed that. Like you're looking at her. You're looking at him finish the eggs because he's freaking tired and he's going to eat, and she's out looking down the stairs or whatever outside. That's mm-hmm. that's really awesome. I never even thought about and that. It feels like a real Midwestern house, right? That little staircase at the beginning and like the what kitchen opens up right there. Also, car needs a jump because it was cold last <laughs> night. Is the single oh, yeah. most Midwest thing in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love the part. This is this is jumping ahead a little bit, but there there's a cop investigating a, a lead on Steve Buscemi just apparently like walked in this bar super horned up asking where he could get some action. And like the cop like steps out of his car, puts his hood on, like bundles it up. It's like the thickest like hood you've ever seen with like the fur on the ends and everything. And he's talking to this guy who has his hood up and they're zipped up all the way. And they're they're talking back and forth, exchanging this information. The way the scene ends is the 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 guy who provided the tip looks up at the sky and goes, oh, it looks like it's about to turn cold, eh? Gotta turn cold tomorrow. Yep, got a front coming in. Got a cold front yeah, coming in. Corey, I, that white stuff, that's snow. I don't know. <laughs> If you've ever heard of it. Oh, I thought they were just like living in cocaine land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Us Midwesterners are built different. Corey, have you ever experienced like a, a snow, like a snowy season? Like, I'm sure you've, have you seen snow? I used to snowboard, but I would okay. like intentionally oh. make trips to places where it snows to do that. Did um, you move to Oregon when you were like 18 and go to some funny named place? <laughs> no, I lived in Seattle and it snows one day a year in Seattle. I didn't get that. Christmas every year. I thought you and your friend went to some funny name place. Oh, we made a road trip and we stopped in weed for a little while. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The McDonald's girl that got away, but that's another story. Um, I have not been exposed to this kind of shit and watching this movie, I'm just thinking how agonizing it must be to live in an it's environment bad. where it snows. It seems very tough. Uh, Corey, two years ago, uh, the wind chill got to negative 46. You guys get that too? Negative 52. <laughs> you got that? Yeah. The, the only one I ever saw was 46. But yeah, I mean, they literally said if you go outside and expose 
for like two or three minutes, you you might get frostbite. Like, uh, yeah, I took work off and I we never went outside. It was freaking unbelievable. See, that's fucked up, man. That would interfere with my plans. But it's also heat index has gotten the last one I saw was 111. So people think that the Midwest is like perfect weather. We get the worst. Like it's pretty bad. You get real seasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get three seasons in one day. Oh, yeah. And like the Midwestern Bible for snow is snow is great for like two weeks because it looks pretty. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, Thanksgiving's usually coming. Christmas time's around the corner. And in this movie, they show, I don't know if it was intentional, if it got warm, but they show so much snow slush, that brown awfulness that's so hard to drive on. That just gets fluttered everywhere. It's a nightmare. Sticks everywhere. It sticks it's everywhere. It's a nightmare when it melts. It takes three months to melt, even if it's eighty degrees out. Um, I was so happy they showed that because I hate that yeah, stuff so much. You go to like a uh, you go to like a Meyer or like a Walmart, and it's sixty it's degrees, there. but there are icebergs of snow <laughs> that's been plowed. There's no joke. It's like fourteen feet high, and it'll stay there for months. It's crazy. We, let's go weeks. Let's say weeks, but it feels like an eternity. Let's put it that way. Oof. Sorry, that's, uh, I love talking yep, about weather. Just Midwest things. Just yep. Midwest. The scene where Jean is running in the snow and Carl's laughing at her. Her feet would be uh, so fucked oh, if she was oh doing that actually in Minnesota in the winter. Which that's a, another like really great short moment of characterization because Carl is just like you know sitting there maniacally laughing at her pain. Whereas Peter Stormier is just slack jawed again, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> expressing absolutely no emotion at her pain. And it's kind of, it's similar too, because there's one right after that where they're trying to watch TV. I don't know if you guys remember that. And Steve Buscemi is yelling things like, plug me into the ozone, baby, or <laughs> stuff like that. While like Peter Stormier is just sitting there, like mouth agape again. Like this movie, when you look at the length of the scenes, a lot of them are very short three minute, four minute, two minute scenes. Get in, get out, get in later than you need to be, get out sooner than you need to be type scenes. Explain just enough about the characters and keep moving. And that's kind of what we get into in this next section of the movie. It's it's really the the investigation. I mean, I don't know if you guys have anything to say about the two women um, who are interviewed by Marge at the bar. Um, went to White Bear Lake, Colbert's. One uh, of the persons <laughs> from Colbert's. Reba, if you've ever watched Reba, which I'm guessing nobody here has. I've watched Reba. You hold your goddamn tongue, Brett. <laughs> the, you know, did you recognize the woman? No, the, did not. The blonde one on the, the right or the other one? Yeah, the which blonde one? on the right. She was the woman that the husband Bro- Brock left oh, Reba for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Wait, in the show Reba, Reba's husband left a woman for her. Her ex-husband no, left. Yeah, their ex. He cheated on Reba what? with this woman. Yeah. What? Oh, okay. Was Reba a drama? No, it was no, a comedy. It's comedy, but man, it's funny. That, I love Van. Van's my yeah, boy. Yeah, Van was hilarious. Pappy, real quick, I have a question for you because I don't know if this is something we're going to get to naturally. Please. There's a guy in this movie called Mike, and I don't understand why Mike is in this movie. Same. Steve Park? I do. Oh, I have a big thing about Mike. Let's Okay, let me let me just set up Mike and we'll get we'll get right there. So like like I, like there's all of these really short scenes in the investigation in a row, right? You have her interviewing the two women at the bar. You have them at a buffet. And I, and I time these scenes because the, the mic shit is so jarring. And it, it honestly might be the, the scene in any movie 
that I think about the most. Like I think about Mike Yang Yang Yangagita, Mike Yangagita, like like so much because there's like I said, there's this buffet scene one minute long. We don't want you mucking this up, Jerry. Uh, the dad says he's got to do the do the drop. Two minutes long. The Radisson is reasonable. Marge checking into the hotel. Two minutes long. Steve Buscemi stealing the license plate. And that's a long scene for this little stretch. That's only like two minutes and 20 seconds long. Um, Marge interviews Sheb Proudfoot. One minute. Marge interacts with Jerry for the first time. One minute. So you have a one-minute scene, a two-minute scene, a two-minute scene, a two-minute 20 scene, a one-minute scene, a one-minute scene. Then the okay. movie fucking slams on the fucking brakes. It has a four-and-a-half-minute scene. Not relevant to the investigation at all. Totally breaking that momentum. Mike Yangagita. Corey, this is your first time. What were your impressions of, of Mike? Uh, well, obviously, he seemed like a, a guy that's been dealing with some trauma. That's the way they sell it to us. You know, he's... <laughs> He's had a hard time and he's, you know, um, maybe understandably looking for the comfort of uh, another woman, although... You were such a super lady. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, she's married and pregnant, so that is a, a no-no. But, I mean, a little bit weird. And then I find out how weird it actually is a couple scenes later when I find out that he's a stalker yeah. and stuff. And it, it's interesting and kind of funny, but, like, I don't know what it has to do with the story. It doesn't. So his, I just want to say real quick, when she says that she had leukemia, whoever's playing that guy, he's fucking brilliant in that role. Like, say what you will about the character, whether or not it fits with the movie, whether or not they just literally couldn't cut this because it otherwise would have been less than a 90 minute movie. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but you can see the character Mike kind of searching for and making up the lie very subtly only when you go back and watch for it. It's it's so great. But Steve, you, you said you had a theory on why why he's in this movie. So I used to be in the camp of Corey Hartgrave. I used to text Pappy all the time about ranting about Mike. Was it Yanagita? This is Mike Yanagita! It just felt like the biggest momentum breaker in a movie that I have ever seen. It was jarring, like you said. And you start to watch it and you start to watch it. And it's almost like... It's kind of there to help propel Margie in her investigation because she took Mike at face value, like really hardcore, like, oh, this has happened. Then you get the reversal of, no, this dude's a nut, like stalker, big time. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he's hiding bodies in a basement type guy. Yeah. You know, it's kind of helping her propel like, well, you know, this Lundergaard fellow is kind of the same way with me. You know, what if he's lying about something, too? So I think that's kind of the purpose of getting Mikey and Aguita in there. Two movie club. What else is he in? A serious man. He's the <laughs> the dad. Yeah. Uh, the kid who goes, I, sir, my, sir. <laughs> me, sir, my, sir. <laughs> yeah, me, sir, my, sir. Yeah. Mikey, awesome. pro or anti the Mike scene? It's your first time seeing this. Uh, I agree that it is like a grinding halt to the movie. Um I don't know if I can support Stevie's hypothesis that it kind of like activates her detective sense or something. But uh, yeah, I thought it uh, it just didn't fit for me. Um, I was also like confused as to why she agreed to go out on. Uh, like, what was she expecting here? Like, is she? Looking to hook up with Mikey and Aguita? Like, why? Uh, I think she's I, just nice. Yeah. 
I think you know so. What? Did I she hide it? Did she hide it from her husband though? I don't know. Yeah, he didn't care. He's ice fishing. He's ice fishing, man. Getting that loot fisk. I don't know about the. I don't know about the Stevie said about the activating her detective thing, but I could definitely see she takes the meeting because she's nice. But it shows that she's not a pushover. She's not gonna let him. Uh, I mean, that was just brutal. Him going. I mean, that's super awkward. Like going over to her side, but she stops it right away. So I and that kind of leads to she doesn't get pushed around the rest of the movie. But I, I don't know. Yeah. I also, know. you're like never scared for her, I guess, because you see that she's like a, a super competent cop in like yeah. that first scene. So she can take care of herself. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. though she is pregnant, but obviously does not matter for her. It's such a bold move to make a a sexual advance uh, five <laughs> yeah. minutes into a lunch uh, meeting or meeting up with someone for lunch. Yeah, at least wait till the end. Uh, and when you see that she's pregnant and married to and married son of Gunderson, son Shit, of a Gunderson, Mike's a player, man. <laughs> you know, I honestly go back and forth on the Mike scene. I think that the intention is a hundred percent what Stevie is saying that it was made to be some sort of like mini revelation with her at the same time. It's also pretty improbable that she would become police chief and, you know, not know that criminals are liars and that she needs to, you know, do her due diligence on anything that she's saying as part of an investigation. I think why it persists is it's so indicative of the Cohen's style, right? Like it's a, it's a, such a Cohen scene in so many ways. It's like just like the, the strangeness of it and the way that it sort of breaks up the movie and just like kind of the intrigue of the characters. I think that's why people remember it. And I think it did a lot to like lend their tone to the movie, but I, you know, I don't know if it's a better movie or not if you cut it, to be honest. And I, and I, this is the scene I think about probably the most of any movie of ever, and I don't know how how I feel about it. But <laughs> we get another sex scene later, a, a pretty awkward Minnesota sex scene with, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, eh? As, uh, awkward Steve Minnesota Buscemi. sex. <laughs> and uh, Shep Proudfoot comes in, uh, kicks uh, Steve Buscemi's ass. That's what leads to kind of the really the last third of the movie is this movie is truly in thirds. There's a third before Marge shows up. The middle third is the investigation. And then it's literally called out by Steve Buscemi. He says, we have 30 minutes, Jerry, to wrap this thing up when there's exactly 30 minutes left in the film, <laughs> basically. Um, I like that. You That's do like nice. that? The real time stuff. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. I, I like when he's like, I'm going to shoot your fucking children. I'm going to shoot them in the back <laughs> of their little fucking heads. I'm going to shoot your fucking wife. <laughs> And Jerry goes, okay, real good then. <laughs> Dude, seeing Shep Proudfoot beat the shit out of Steve Buscemi is the funniest thing in this movie. I like, hate it so much. For me, like all the comedy comes from Steve Buscemi, just like being an asshole and being like very Mr. Pink-ish. Like he's really funny in this movie, especially when he's like total silence. <laughs> he just like keeps saying that, like he's not going to talk to the guy anymore. So he literally says the words total silence. Um, but seeing him get his uh, ass kicked like and whipped by a belt and hearing him whine is funny, dude. Uh, fuck you, little weasel. Fuck you, man. You fucking motherfucking son of a bitch and fucking cock. Jesus Christ. Fucking shit, babe, mother. 
don't like that scene, Stevie? I don't mind. This. I, re- I really have an issue with noticeable ADR. It just sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm. And in my mind, a character like Shep wouldn't be shouting. I think he's much more menacing being silent and beating the shit out of Steve Boo, Steve Buscami, while Steve Buscami is doing all the talking. Like the <laughs> like the problems he has with everyone in his life are the people that do like the le- like the least amount of talking. I think that'd have been a really fun note in that scene. It just the noticeable ADR just stood out like a sore thumb to me. Well, forgive him for breaking the stereotype. <laughs> I like when uh, Mr. Proudfoot goes for his belt. And Steve Buscemi's like, don't hit me with that. And like, he's like, I wasn't going to. It goes for the choke move right away with it. It's just like, wasn't even planning on that, bro. Don't worry about it. Um, the money drop, I don't know if there's anything significant about the money drop. It feels like the top of a parking garage where there's going to be so many cameras going in, going out, all around that place would be one of the worst places to do. 87, though. Something Maybe, maybe. That's true. I, I guess I don't know. Did you, uh, anything stand out from from that exchange for you? You, Brett? Mm. I don't know. I just, the weight or whatever is all tough in the car. And then he's not as tough out there. Like, I'm just surprised he didn't have his gun out quicker or something. And I don't know, Steve, nothing really. It's just kind of quick. And I didn't want, Wade was a dick, but I didn't really want him to die, I guess. So I love the slow motion OGs. Oh jeez! Oh, I love that so <laughs> That's much. <pretty> funny. <laughs> Is that when he gets shot? Yeah. <laughs> what about when Jerry just pulls up, sees his dead father-in-law, and his only <laughs> reaction is just to pop the trunk? Like a great, great shot. Well, so why did he do that? Why, why lift Wade? So, so this is that almost thing. absolves him of everything. Like, there's a movie. I think the the Ur example of this is a movie called Blue Ruin. Stevie, you've seen that movie, Love right? Love Blue Ruin. But I've it's like, it. and you've seen it too, Kyle. So you you guys know it's like there's kind of this genre of like the dumb criminal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everything in this is a comedy of errors, especially for Jerry. Right? Like, if he doesn't flee. The interview, he's fleeing the interview. Like, he wouldn't have gotten caught. You know what I mean? Likely, I would say, if he just has a fake count of the cars, like, he's just, like, the fundamental thing is, like, he and Steve Buscemi are, like, bad at being criminals. <laughs> it's kind of like the same, as, is that kind of a common Cohen? Like, Big Lebowski, they screw up constantly. Oh, brother, we're out there. They screw up constantly. Burn after readings that way, big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I guess not like that, I guess, is a serious man, but that's a different story altogether. So, takes place in Minnesota, though. So we have that going. Yeah, but no, I totally agree. Like this, everything that unfolds is like happens wrong, right from the very beginning, from them meeting at the wrong time. Like (laughs) it all is downhill from there. And yeah, they do things wrong, but also like it kind of seems like Marge is a pretty fucking good detective too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. So there's both angles. You got a really good detective and some pretty shitty criminals. <laughs> I like, uh, just speaking out, she's a good detective. I like how she's like, I don't uh, 100% agree with your police work there, yeah. eh? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was saying dealer plates. <laughs> um, yeah, so kind of coming towards the end of the movie here, 
Uh, Steve Buscemi sounds like Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs. He gets shot in his face. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, it, it kind of blends together for me. Oh yeah, the, the bearing of the money. We talked about that as well. Um, I, I remember being a kid thinking that there was really a million dollars out there somewhere in Minnesota that I should go find, like that that guy who did that movie. But um, Stevie, the wood chipper scene. This is like what I knew about Fargo going into it. Sort of this climax of the movie. Marge, as we said, is tipped off by uh, Steve Buscemi running his mouth in a bar, being all horny. That's what basically leads to leads to her investigating Moose Lake in Minnesota, where she where they're found. What the, the last sort of climax here? Anything stand out for you here at Moose Lake? Uh, even before this, my favorite sequence in the whole movie is Peter Stormare running out the door with an axe. And so good. It's so good. I mean, just the idea to have them scream and then quick cut it with that type of violence was, I mean, it's my favorite part of the entire movie. But I feel like this is, you want to talk about like iconic parts of Fargo. I feel like the wood chipper, you know, if you brought up Fargo to anybody on the street, you know, anybody on the street, seen it, like, oh yeah, the, the wood chipper. Wood chipper, for sure. Um, it's the most iconic part. And I definitely appreciated the character who's seven months pregnant in the snow is probably exhausted, slow walking it down to Peter Stormare's character. And just the wherewithal of the Coens when they're writing this movie to have Margie trying to shout over a wood chipper is just brilliant <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. It's, kind of this, it's kind of an anticipation just drawn out even more from the fact that the wood chipper is still running. Margie's pointing a gun, can't get her point across. And then when Peter Stormare finally looks at her, she points to her hat. I love that. I got something here that I didn't think about and I thought about about 30 minutes ago and you guys can tell me whether I'm crazy, I'm wrong. Okay, um, Peter Stormare, we talked about how he's emotionless. He doesn't have any emotion throughout the entire movie. And I'm wondering if A, I, I just, I'm just seeing it wrong, or B, if it was a purposeful thing that the Coens did, maybe just to be funny, that he literally is watching that terrible Minnesota soap <laughs> yes, opera. Brett. And he's it's the only emotion he shows the entire movie is when she tells the guy he's pregnant. One thousand percent. That she's pregnant. And I'm just like and then yeah, I never did notice it the first time. Obviously you've seen it a bunch, but and it's so it's so small. It's just like you could see it on his face. His face falls about I don't know, an eighth of an inch, like you could just barely see it, but I just do you think that was like a joke that Yes. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. It's found on that. Well, absolutely. I mean, so I'm looking at the the dark, the dark triad for psychopathy, impulsive, emotionally cold, remote, remorseless, uh, inappropriate, or lack of emotional expression. He's literally doesn't do anything except for this one blurry <laughs> shot on the TV. He's surrounded by his grain belt beers. And that's like literally, like, and it's just a very subtle movement. But you're right. It's the only time we see him conveying any emotion even when he's arrested he sort of has the same face that he has yeah. when he's like chasing someone down in a car and he's you know just I mean? killed someone yes absolutely which i know we t- i know steve you talked about that i love like the bells though in that scene we'll, we'll play the clip but if you listen to the sound design it's just absolutely fucking fantastic and if you think you're fine shut for tell him i'm gonna nail his fucking ass
It's unreal. And I like how you guys talked about, you know, just a comedy of errors and these stupid criminals. I understand being in the moment of just killing somebody with an axe you spent like two weeks with, but you have a big old lake there with a lot of ice and snow. To the land of the ice and snow. The wood chipper is not the best way to go. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very discreet, is it? I mean, that was... Probably just for fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. I was trying to wrap my head around his reasoning and all I could think of was like, oh, he's just psychotic. Because there's no reason that would be your first option. It almost makes me think that he's still mad about not going to the pancake house. <laughs> like even in death, Steve Buscemi still has to suffer. Well, Stevie, without that, it's it's basically Ice Road. The movie starring Liam Neeson on Netflix. If you don't have the Roger Deakins blood on the snow, which you said love you love some blood on the snow, love blood on the snow, wouldn't change it. Um, but I mean, that's pretty much the the end of the movie. There's like a little a little coda here, right? Marge's Marge's there makes the arrest, um, gives them the lecture. You know, there's more to life than a bit of money and all. Um, Mikey, I I think one of the best bits of acting. And the whole movie is William H. Macy just being a little bitch here at the at the end. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure this happened about six months ago with William H. Macy, this exact same situation. But <laughs> <Nice. laughs> Just getting dragged. It looks like an episode of Cops. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Speaking of, like, you know, not actually conveying their real emotions, you know, it's, it's the realest his character has been. For us, the audience, right? His just blood-curdling screams. He's finally not obfuscating the way that he's feeling anymore. He's just really pissed that he got that he got caught. He's he's a piece of shit, guys. I don't know if you guys knew that, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's a nice touch that they knock on the door and he's like, "All right, I'll be right out," and he's like crawling out the window. <laughs> That's funny, man. Well, Corey, I want to ask you. I like asking you this question on movies that you haven't seen before. I don't get the opportunity very often but we get the scene of marge and norm in bed you know marge doesn't even share anything about her day really right you would expect you know that scene to be her decompressing about seeing someone in a wood chipper or making an arrest or or talking about the case that she was working on but norm says they made the announcement and marge doesn't even need to ask what announcement She's instantly excited. She's instantly engaged. She cares about like what he has to say. And, and we talked about the stamp thing a little bit. She's, she's super proud of him. She's gassing him up, uh, loves him very much. And she says, you know, we're doing pretty good. And, and it's that moment's almost like a reflection of everything that she's seen between Mike, Mike Yankanita and the wood chipper and Peter Stormier's like just total psychoticness. Um, how do you feel? When the credits roll on Fargo, Corey, after after kind of a roller coaster, ultra violence comedy, bit of a mixed bag there. I mean, I really enjoyed the movie, but with that scene in particular, I think it's a good misdirect because you're right. Like we're, we, the audience, expect them to be talking about the events of the movie, and that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about Norm's basic ass, you know, like his fucking <laughs> stamp paintings. <laughs> and they just got a wholesome and loving relationship, and it's it's cool. You said it ends with a line, we're doing pretty good. I think it's two more months, actually, is the last line, where they're talking about the baby. Um, okay, well, 
that just makes me think of well the line we're doing pretty good it makes me think of american movie um, oh yeah in the very beginning when he's like going through all his bills and talking about like how fucked up he is financially <laughs> and then he gets like some fucking shitty credit card in the mail and he goes life is pretty cool sometimes man <laughs> <laughs> also some i got to think a lot of just so uh just from what i see in tv and movies i mean i'm just playing that based on that but i think a lot of cops and wives or husbands probably have a no shop talk rule that makes sense. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying what you're saying isn't right, but maybe that's just kind of what it is. She doesn't want to bring that home with him. But I guess if he was a cop, then maybe he'd want to hear about it. So I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, what's his name? Norm? Yep. I feel like he's seen some shit and it's absolutely zero cop talk now for him. He's mm-hmm. kind of like emotionally... I don't know. He seems like a weird guy. He seems nice enough as a husband, but he does seem like he doesn't want to talk about anything she's involved with at work. But it's just like this, such a sweet note to end the movie on. Right. And I think as we, we'll get it, we'll get into final thoughts here in a second, but I think what it's easy to take for granted with 2021 eyes watching this movie is just the unique blending of tones that this movie really brought together, right? It, it's it's not similar to Pulp Fiction in so many ways, but the the mix of comedy and ultra violence um, is pretty unique up until that point in time, right? And I, and I think that this little note of wholesomeness, this little cherry on top of it, like you know, like I said the violence, the comedy, but it ends on a sincere, sweet note and showing an example of, of what the Coens must think is a good, healthy relationship. I really, really like that. And I think that's what really rounds out the movie for me. Yeah. You mean like as opposed to a Tarantino movie, right? Exactly. Yes. Where right. I don't even know how that it would end in some cynical way or some ultra violent way or maybe even like a joke or something um, or focus on like, I feel like a Tarantino movie would almost end like, with the resolution of the conflict in a lot of cases. I think with a Tarantino movie, they, a lot of the times they end and we're supposed to be like, that was so cool. Yes. Mm -hmm. This ends in a different way. It's like you said, it ends in like, like that was really nice. Like that touch at the end. And despite Mm -hmm. everything that unfolded, like there is I I don't know. It's like almost a form of hope. Mm -hmm. And this, the new hope, a form of a new hope exactly and the score that swells there too it's a fantastic score i mean binary sunset plays no binary sunset does not play in this movie (laughs) but now that we've gotten into star wars uh references that's a sign that's time to get out of this podcast any other final thoughts um from you guys on fargo uh when buscemi gets shot or he's like grazed but he is bleeding a lot uh and he's kind of like you know, carrying on with this wound and it's really fucked up and he's clearly in a lot of pain. (laughs) I love that, by the way. And then he goes back to like the cabin and he sees Uli. (laughs) He goes, you should see the other guy. Like that is a classic line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I love how he's just putting like Arby's napkins on it and it's just sticking in his giant gaping wound in his face. It's disgusting. Why did he just bail? Why did he just bail? Yeah. He had all the money. I don't know what, and the car. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want that guy after me, but at the same time, just pay him for half of the car. Like, what a fucking dipshit. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the 
Gunderson. I mean, it's a Larry thing. He's greedy. Well, he's such an extra dipshit, too, because he has a truck. He's like, you can take my truck, which we haven't seen at all, which is probably totally clean. Not on the police radar, but he chooses to yep. take the the was it the Sierra, the Sienna, or whatever he says, mm-hmm. the, which is like been all over the police like news or whatever. <laughs> it's like, and I'm sure it's covered in blood. It's like he doesn't even take the right car in that situation. That's how dumb, dummy. And is. he's never going to find his money. No, zero percent chance. One wind gust and that little ice cream yeah. is buried forever. There are no natural landmarks. What the fuck is this dude thinking? <laughs> it got to be mile markers, and right. He's out in the middle of nowhere, bro. They showed us that there was no natural landmarks, very explicitly. Yeah, okay. He looked like he was on the Oregon Trail. There was nothing out there. I do love that scene when he's burying the case, and he's struggling to walk back to the car. I could just feel uh-huh. how cold it was outside same. watching that. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, that looks awful. Mm. Was this... I should know this. Was this shot in Minnesota? IMDb says Fargo. See, see how much of a difference that makes like just like even like, like like i've talked about this so many times but even just having like a couple different shots establishing shots of the twin cities like how much lifting does seeing fucking paul bunyan statue do you know what i mean how much of the tone does that set just showing actual things in that area as opposed to just like this movie could be anywhere at any time type thing it uses its backdrop hey let's save a few bucks let's film it in toronto what are you talking about pap every town usa toronto canada every town <laughs> usa <laughs> toronto is chicago yeah take this for what it's worth uh i'm not trying to contradict mikey uh it says that wikipedia by the way said mainly filmed in the winter of 95 in minneapolis st paul area and around pembina county north dakota uh, there was unusually low snowfall in central and southern Minnesota. So the ones where they needed a ton of snow, they went to northern Minnesota and northeastern North Dakota, though not in or near the actual towns of Fargo and Brainerd. But I it pays dividends lied. to shoot on location, though. Like, you love that. The you, that's like the, the one thing you loved about that Los Calientes, a terrible movie, is you loved they used the Minnesota landscape and cities and it's really nice. It is free production value. It's just like Pap said, it just establishes and it costs nothing to film that Paul Bunyan thing. Mm -hmm. Um, well let's go ahead and get our yes or no's. Brett, you had some, or Brett, I think you had a final thought you want to sprinkle in there. So why don't you go ahead and go first? We'll go East to East or the reverse of whatever we just did. Okay. Um, okay. So this is the second time I've watched this and I sure Pap will remember I only watched this for the first time two years ago, and I was unbelievably disappointed the first time I watched it. Um, I thought it was okay, but it's like I heard for 20 years how good it was, and I just thought it was just okay. I was looking forward to watching the second time, and after about seven minutes, I was thinking, man, I do not want to watch this movie. Whoa. Now, Now, hold on. After about 20, 30 minutes, I started being like, okay, and I realized the problem. I hate every scene that William H. Macy's in. Every <laughs> single one. Every <laughs> single scene. Um, and I love pretty much all the other ones. So I, I just, it's not like I don't like William H. Macy. I just, I hate that storyline. I hate him so much in this movie. And I guess you could say, well, that's the point. Well, 
If it's not, again, don't worry. Okay, I'm giving this movie a yes. It's a good movie. Um, there's enough there. I love, I freaking love Francis McDormand in this movie. Steve Buscemi's great. Uh, the other guy, Peter Stormare's good. It's, but I just, I hate, I hate the storyline of that. He's, it's so awkward. I thought, well, I'll like it more the second time because I won't feel as clammy and sweaty trying to hope that people didn't die. And I still was just like, this movie's so scummy at some time. So I'm going to give it a yes. Uh, less than a solid yes, but a yes. But God, I did. Ugh. So just to be, to be clear, you hate the character of Jerry or you'd hate William H. Macy's performance? The character of Jerry. I, I mean, okay. William H. Macy, I guess, is doing what he's supposed to do. But again, if it's off-putting to me, then it's not working for me. But that's obviously not the case for other people. That's probably blasphemy to some people. Candy, I apologize for that. Well, Candy, I'll, I'll redeem you a little bit. You you picked one of my favorite movies of all time. I hadn't heard a lot of hype around the 25-year anniversary. I don't know if there's like any kind of... like. Criterion release coinciding with that or if there's going to be some theatrical run I would love to see Fargo on the big screen the the Deacon cinematography as big as possible and and a you know great surround sound too at that score um I mean yeah it's I can't uh, there are some things I'm just going to have to acknowledge that I can't review objectively Fargo is one of them because it's so seminal to me loving movies I mean it's literally like I was pretty little you know eight nine seven years old and my mom being like like you know fargo is a, a great movie and then showing me the movie like okay this is what a great movie is you know what i mean it's almost became the definition of what i thought was like a great movie obviously love love the coens they, I, I love young coens this and raising arizona they're two stories about couples not about couples but couples who are in the salad days of their marriage before they have kids um that's definitely you know a, a a big part of this movie, Francis McDormand's pregnancy, a big part of raising Arizona. I, I just love their early work so, 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 so much. Um, you know, like I said everything below the line is fantastic. I think William H. Macy's ability to get under Brett's skin speaks volumes to his performance, right? That's exactly probably what he wanted. And I know that, you know, what Brett, like why subject yourself to that if it's going to make you feel that way. But I, I absolutely just, just love him in this movie. Definite hard. Yes. One of my favorite movies of all time. Thank you, Candy. Uh, I don't remember who's next. Mikey. Yeah. I'll go next. Uh, Mikey from, uh, Goshen, Indiana. Um, yeah, like I said before, this is, this was my first time watching this and, um, I'm not going to say, it's my favorite Coen Bros movie because it's not. Uh, I think I even liked Lewin Davis more than this one, which uh, that was one of the movies, one of their movies that I thought I was going to like the least. But um, I don't know. I just I don't know if it's just like not living up to the hype. I mean, yeah. I've heard so much about this movie and I guess I've known about the the uh, wood chipper scene and stuff like that. So maybe some of that magic was lost on me, but. I just didn't find it as funny as as other Coen Brothers movies or kept me like as engaged as other stuff that they've made. But it's still a good movie. It's still really good and funny. And I love watching Steve Buscemi. I think he's great. And Francis McDormand is awesome, too. But just wasn't my favorite Coen Bros movie that I've seen. But 
I I've knocked another Coen Bros movie off of uh, my long list of stuff that I haven't seen from theirs, uh, which is good thanks to this podcast. So hopefully someone chooses Raising Arizona next because I haven't seen that. So I'd love to watch that sometime. Got to get some Nick Cage with the Coens. I, I'll say this too about the hype. Watching it this time, I am not surprised at all that the English patient beat this movie for best picture. Like putting those two movies next to each other, Fargo had a 0.00% chance of beating a movie like the English patient that almost, almost makes me want to watch the English patient again to try and give it another chance. Cause I fucking hated that movie. The first time I like Delphi. Look at the big guy with eight free hours to watch the English patient. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Life is uh, very busy right now for me, clearly. Uh, uh, Sorry, Stevie, I think you're next. Um, I will give this movie the hardest of yeses. I think this movie is an absolute masterpiece. Um, One, I love that it's based in the Midwest. I absolutely love the Midwest. Mm. Also, I talk about blood on snow a lot. I think it looks beautiful on camera in violent films, and I'm happy that it accomplished this. And also... The Coen brothers are just amazing writers and uh, directors. I think, um, you know, sometimes we get lost in certain movies where, you know, it has really witty and snappy dialogue. And I just like how dry the dialogue is in this is in this movie. And watching William H. Macy chew up every scene in this movie is just an absolute treat. Jerry is an absolute scumbag and a loser and a bastard. But the thing is, Jerry's exists in this world, and he plays this Jerry perfect. And <laughs> the we're not a bank Jerry is so priceless. I like Wade talking just little, you know, tidbits of, you know, why not go to Midwest Federal, you know, meet up with uh, Bill Deal. Just little stuff like that always makes me smile. And uh, when Peter Stormare bolts out the cabin with the axe. Just those quick four seconds are some of my favorite things the Coen brothers have ever done. So, uh, hardest of yeses, this movie is a masterpiece. And last but not least, before Kylo gives his yes or no, once again, thank you, Candy. I appreciate all of our patrons, um, and especially appreciate you commissioning this episode. Glad to have you as part of the Spoilers family. But, Corey, you you are powering through an illness tonight to this podcast. Mad respect to you as well for doing that you sound great but what would you say about fargo on your first watch fargo so i'm gonna give fargo (laughs) a yes or a minnesota yeah it's a good movie obviously (laughs) yeah it's no jesus rolls it's no suburbicon it's no hail Caesar, but it is a very good Mikey, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't like those movies. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, the things that do it for me in this movie are uh, a lot of them are the performances, namely Steve Buscemi as Carl and uh, William H Macy as the uh, pathetic character that he likes to play, <laughs> and it's just so relatable to see like a car salesman in a movie that I just hate. Cause I fucking work with them all the time. And I swear to God, I hate them. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, what can I say that hasn't been said? I'm really glad this was picked by Candy. Fun movie, um, moving movie, thrilling movie, and uh, it's just great. I like it a lot. 
I would say if there are any used cars men, used car salesmen listening, I need a new car, a new used car. So uh, if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast, I Get don't that hate true you. coat. I would love you, and I, I will pay extra for the true coat as well. I don't know if we're going to have a lot of used car salesmen after Corey's rant, and I called them sociopaths earlier. So, <laughs> well, they are them. Brett. They're probably not getting to the ninety-minute mark of the podcast. I'll put it that way. Have you guys not seen that Dateline? What? No. A used car salesman, like was was trying to hire people to murder his wife, and like <laughs> five people, five used car salesmen were like, "Oh yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, man. That's the way it is, right? Just just buy me dinner. Exactly. I'll do it. Well, tonight's trivia is not vehicle related at all, so you guys should be uh, be doing okay there. And not, not used car related at all. So as I pull it up, we'll just go in the reverse. Uh, we'll go east to east again. So Corey, uh, Stevie, Mikey, Brett, um... Stevie, you remember that show that used to be on Univision or Telemundo? I forget which one. It was Voss. Voss oh, no, no Voss. Voss. Yep. <laughs> this is Lago. Oh, no Lago. I don't know what the Spanish for not a lake is, but I had, I pulled a database <laughs> of Minnesota lakes. Just a single, simple trivia. Oh my gosh. Single elimination. If you miss it, you're out. All you have to do is say if it's the name of an actual lake in Minnesota pretty simple right so like i said we'll start with you Corey. your first name and all i have to say is you can say lake or no lake that's fine you don't have to use spanish or whatever language you'd like like to use we're an international podcast all right i'll go with japanese tonight thank you okay uh marowak m-a-r-o-w-a-k marowak marowak mizumi was that lake? <laughs> yeah, that means lake. No, sorry, that is a Pokemon. That is the what Cubone evolves into. Marowak, not a lake in Minnesota. Oh man. God damn it. I play Pokemon. I should know this. Stevie, you're up next. Yours is Vaporon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one I would have gotten. Okay, first off, Corey, <laughs> do you know what Minnesota is called? <laughs> Uh, the land of lakes or some shit. The land of 10,000 lakes. And it's 10, definitely the uh, tiebreaker in the event that we go through all 20 of these. Happy, I think you're pronouncing that wrong. I can give the right pronunciation. Please. Well, no. Okay, please. Yeah. Vaporeon. Vaporeon, Stevie. Is that a lake or not a lake? That sounds like prawn, Pap. Um, I'm going to say no lago. That's correct. It is a Pokemon. Uh, oh, it's not porn. Okay. If you give it a water, a water stone, water stone, um, yeah. Mikey Calhoun, Calhoun, uh, I'll say that's a lake. Very good. That's a lake that I used to live right next to in Minnesota. Um, give me Lake Bulbasaur. <laughs> Brett, yours, <laughs> Lake Blastoise. Yours is Eagle's Nest Four. <laughs> Eagle's Nest Four, not possessive when I copied it, but I don't know if that was a typo in the database. Um, Eagle's Nest 4. Or not. <laughs> what is that noise? I'm That's uh, my Swedish translation for lake. It is indeed. Uh, can you do that again, please? 
<laughs> Correct, Brett. That is a lake. Eagle's Nest 4 is a lake. So back up to the top with Stevie Cloister. What? Say it again. Cloister. Okay, so Pat, is it just a Pokemon or a lake? No. <laughs> I'm going to say not a lake. It's a Pokemon. Correct. Yes, God absolutely. damn it. Mikey. <laughs> Lapras. Lapras. That is... Sounds a lot like a Pokemon, so I'm going to say not a lake. <laughs> <laughs> We're rolling. Brett? I know all these, and I fucked up my own. Brett Zubat. Um... No, I'm sorry. It is a lake. Oh, uh, crap. I was speaking Icelandic. You speak Icelandic? I'm Patty? speaking in Icelandic. Yes. Uh, yeah, Zubat no. is also a Pokemon, though. Oh, Correct. trick question. Whoa. Found okay. often in caves. Um, <laughs> flying in poison. Diet. Ah. <laughs> so, Steve, am I out? Or I don't know what's you're, going you're on. Out. Yeah, you're okay. out. Okay. So, it's down to Stevie and Mikey. This is, again, just for. Tossing it to Spore, man. A little trip to the winner's circle. A little chance to talk some shit. Stevie. Rat Root. God damn you. I'm going to say it's a lake. That is a lake. Let's go. Mikey. <laughs> stinking. Stinking. <laughs> As in the act of stink. Correct. Spelled <laughs> that way. Uh, I'll say that's... Mm, that's... That's not a lake. Oh, I'm sorry, Mikey. That <laughs> is lake stinking. Um, I'll just run through these real quick, Stevie. Poop? Uh, I'll say it's a lake. No, it's not a lake. So you Damn. Been out Stevie, on, on come lake on. Poop? Poop? <laughs> poop? It, it sounds like a very Minnesota <laughs> thing to be like, oh, going over to Lake Poop. Some other, high, <laughs> some other highlights I had was Raichu. Not a lake. Not Eagle's Nest that. 5. Not a lake. Eagles, they stop at Eagle's Nest 4. Pickle, Florida, Lake Zoo, Lake Thief, and Lake Oxyoke would have rounded out the, the trivia. But Stevie, you are the winner today. Go ahead and... Uh, what, what did you just say to me, Brett? Stevie is the winner in Icelandic. I love that. Stevie, yeah. please give your toss to spoiler, man, and 60 seconds or whatever to talk about whatever you want in Icelandic, but, but the floor is yours. Okay, I just want to say thank you to Candy for picking this movie. This is like... Honestly, one of the funnest podcasts I think we've ever done. Sorry, Josh. I know you couldn't be here, but this was an absolute blast. This, for me, is up there with The Collector of how much fun I had on this pod tonight. So thank you, Candy, for picking this movie. Um, thank you to all of our loyal listeners. You guys are amazing. Um, like always, if you want to become a patron, that would be amazing. If not, continue to listen to us for free on iTunes. Listen is always a great listen. And uh, that is it. Thank you for listening. Take it away, spoilers, man. Thank you, Candy. Special thank you to our patrons. Matt Troll. We're not a bank, Jerry. Brother Brian. I need unguent. Druid King. Yeah, that's a good one. Nick. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The Meg. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. David. Yeah, right now. You're darn tootin'. Nurse Stacy. Yeah, is that useful to you? 
Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcast spoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Please support this podcast by leaving us an iTunes review. To do this, one, search for movie spoilers. Two, click on our orange spoilers bowl logo and scroll all the way to the bottom. Three, leave us some stars and some words. Now you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Mm. I still think we need the spoiler cereal bowl. Yes. Like like put like the spoilers logo at the bottom of a bowl? Yeah. That'd be cool. What's Brittany doing? <laughs> She's on her phone right next to me. No, our dog's in the middle. What are you going to watch 2001, Brett? I don't know. She just doesn't really want to watch it, so it's kind of hard to... Well, watch what? Have you ever watched it's... 2001 A Space Odyssey on weed? Oh, Brett, you never seen 2001? No. Nope. On weed. It's okay. 2001. It's on our scratch off, but we haven't watched one of those in like two years. So. I'm just not a big Kubrick guy. Oh, I am. Becoming, <sighs> I Did like you finish Barry Lyndon? Yeah. You like it? Yeah. Isn't that one part like exactly like... Uh... Yeah, Fuck. definitely. Yeah. Call it the wind. Okay, okay, yeah, yep. As soon as she said, don't let him ride the horse, I was like, well, he's dead. <laughs> he was a little turd. Do you think that's like intentional? Like, is that... Because like, <laughs> Kubrick wrote that movie. Did he write that with Gone with the Wind in mind? Or is that just like, that kind of shit just happened to people? Well, it's, based off, it's based off a book, so... That's based off a book? I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's he, it was written to the screen by Stanley Kubrick, so... Oh, that's How cool. many adaptations did he do? Because 2001's was like a collab thing. Shining right? was an adaptation. Shining was an adaptation. Doctor Strangelove might have been original, but... Was Spartacus based on something? Spartacus. Spartacus. (laughs) I mean... Okay. Greek, yeah, I mean... (laughs) Okay. Pap, are we going to do Eyes Wide Shut for Christmas this year? I love... I love Eyes Wide Shut. I've... I've never seen it. I'm into it. I love that movie, too. I fucking love that. I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen that movie since I was about nine years old. Yeah, last time I was watching that movie, I was watching for other reasons, so... Yeah. Are you disappointed? I, I, no, I, there's some good stuff in there. I fast-forwarded through a lot of it. <laughs> Stevie, always watching these, like, age-inappropriate movies. I'm, dude, my grandpa and my dad had no chill when it came to, we're watching this movie, you can take it or leave it. Same. I was thinking about, we just would pick a movie for the weekend, and it pretty much anything... When. Anything goes. It, I remember no watching chill. Glimmer Man when I was like nine. That was freaking scary. It's like I what, told. What but, was that, Brett? The Glimmer Man. Glimmer Man. It, Steven Seagal and Keenan Ivory Wayans. I mean, it's the, that one of the best. What? Ones I've seen. <laughs> that is a that's a combo I never thought I'd hear in my life. Yeah. Furiously googling Glimmer Man. <laughs> what is said Glimmer Man? Look at this. So you guys know I'm sick, right? I'm a little bit Sound out. Sound sick. Sound a little stuffy. I, uh, earlier today, I was in and out of fever dreams, and Whoa. I've kind of like normalized tonight. So I'm mostly okay, but mostly. Uh, mostly. I won't be able to answer any Stevie questions. Let me put it that way. 
<sighs> Stevie can barely answer Stevie question. It's a t- it's a tough job. I've been doing this for almost 400 episodes. It's a tough ask. Are we almost at 400? I think we're almost there. <laughs> we probably have 400 in the can right now. Yeah, as I say, it's been a while. It's been a while. You. I'm back. Fit no more family in town. He's back and Half day tomorrow. Just got to edit. Pretty we're cool. trying to have puppies again, though, so if anybody's interested. But oh. if, she, if she has puppies, they're going to be mini this time. Cool. I want to see, right? Oh, yeah. It's... That was a really weird process watching them do what they did to that dog. Yeah. <laughs> Involved a lot of red rocket uh, dog sperm. No. And, oh, yeah. Sounds horrifying. Oh, little Maximus was, uh, he was, uh, is that what you call his wiener? No, that's his little name. Max. Oh, no, mine's just called Maximus. But so his- like when dogs breed, do like, do you play music in the background or does it just I like, see nothing wrong. There uh, you no. go. Now, uh, this, I mean, Who let the this, dogs was, this was artificial insemination, but mm. the first time I think they just kind of went at it. No, we don't play anything. They, they do like Barry White, but they don't. We don't play any music. <laughs> that was spoilers.